So good to see you today. You are victorious. You defeated the blankets this morning. You defeated the weather. And you defeated the coronavirus so far. Now, it's interesting how during the week I've been getting emails, texts, videos about it. People concerned about the, the contacting or contracting or getting infected with the disease. And there's so many rumors going out there that we have to uh, uh, pause for a second and understand the reality of the situation. More people die of other diseases in the world that of coronavirus every day. More people, more people are more concerned about other places than their own. And let me tell you, give you an example. These are the kind of decisions that we make. I received a video uh, this week uh, about uh, other division in the world where our church gathers, and they recommend that instead of shaking hands, just do a fist bump or an elbow rub and, or a foot tap. And I, I think, well, we should just do a kind of choreography, you know, like boom, boom, bam. Um, and, you know, I don't know, something. But this is the situation. This is the situation. If you're sick, if you have a cough, if you're sneezing, you can watch it online. And then we'll be all be safe. And after you leave, before you touch your mouth, before you, you have your meal, even after, before you pray, go wash your hands. And you'll be okay. Because the reality is that Sick people are the ones truly getting affected, not healthy people. So just take the precautions that you need to take for your sake and the sake of others. Okay, being that the end of the public service announcement, let's go into our message today. Uh, and it kind of fits because, see, all these choices that we make in life, lead us to situations that either benefit us or, or cause us more trouble. And, and today, uh, uh, we'll see one of those aspects of life that has to do with our choices, because in reality, how we face decisions and how we make choices has to do with the level of our spiritual growth. As I was looking at some historic bad choices, I wanted to share some with you. Have you ever made bad choices? Never, Never right? Okay. But some people have. For example, in April of 1912, there was a gigantic set of bad choices. You've probably seen the movie. You probably went like this at some point in your life. <laughs> the Titanic, you see, uh, later discoveries, in fact, recent discoveries, have, have shown us that it was just not one bad choice. And if you watch the movie... Remember, it's a movie, not historically accurate. We see the iceberg hitting the boat. And yes, that was the cause of the sinking. But that was not the cause of all these people dying. You see, one of the problems that they discovered is that the tripulation, not tripula yeah, the tripulation, the, the people, the, 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 the sailors and all those helping out in the boat, they were not properly trained on guiding the people to the proper exits or where the equipment for rescue was. That was one bad choice, not training the people. Another bad choice is that they thought, oh, this boat is never going to sink. 
So they didn't have enough boats, rescue boats, or how do they call them? Lifeboats. Well, they didn't think that they needed lifeboats. And it became a death boat. One bad choice. Do you agree? Another bad choice happened in 1941, December 7. Remember Pearl Harbor? The Japanese believe, according to some historians, that they had arrived to the United States. And they wanted to make sure that the United States would stop fighting. But it was a bad choice because although it was a territory of the United States, it wasn't the mainland of the United States. And I think that another bad choice was dropping two bombs in Japan. Bad choices. Another bad choice, and let's get into the modern thing. This is Kodak's first digital camera. How would you like to carry that in your pocket? Now, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why was, this was a bad choice. Because in 1977, 1977, Kodak patented the first digital camera, this one that you're looking at right now. But they said, oh, we're making so much money on film, we're not going to push this technology yet. In the meantime, other companies began to develop better digital cameras, and by the time that Kodak wanted to catch up to the market, they had already lost. Because they were happy with the money they were making with the old technology. They didn't want to catch up, even though they invented the digital camera. Bad choice. But my favorite of all the bad choices in history has been this one. In 2000, in 2000 uh, the, 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 the inventors or the, the, the guys with the idea of Netflix came to Blockbuster, which at the time, you remember uh, Blockbuster? I still have my card. I was looking for it. I couldn't find it, but I know I have it somewhere. Uh, I'm saving it because uh, someday I'm going to sell it on eBay and it's going to be worth millions. Uh, <laughs> Blockbuster could have bought for 50 million Netflix in 2000. But in 2008, Blockbuster 18 was down to one store in Alaska, but it's closed now, so they don't have any stores. And Netflix now, it's worth $172 billion. You think that was a bad choice? Bad choice. Bad choice. And see, bad choices are all around us. And see, I, I, I was looking at, at some posts on Facebook. Yes, I go on social media about a, a, a famous preacher who was talking about preparation for the Great Tribulation. And I don't think it's a bad thing to know about it. But see, the real preparation for the Tribulation time, it's in the way that we make choices today. Because if you're waiting for that time to make good choices, you're too late. It is now that we get ready for it. It is now that we get ready for heaven. And it all depends on how we make decisions. So when we talk about an vision statement about growing in Jesus, this is exactly what we're talking about. Because how we make choices in life, the simple ones and the complex choices in life, it's really correlated to how close we are to Jesus. We are to Jesus. So Today, as we talk about the spiritual growth, I'm not going to stress enough that it depends. It is reflected. It goes hand in hand with how you know Jesus personally. 
In Proverbs chapter 2, you can get, take your notes out, that sheet of paper that you got with your bulletin today. Uh, that's when we find this morning uh, the keys to make good choices. And notice what Proverbs 2 verse 5 says. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So this is the thing. We have some kind of experience in life. We've read a couple of books. But isn't it interesting that every time that we have to make a decision that is life-changing, we doubt ourselves. And the, reasons, the reason why we doubt it, we doubt ourselves when we are about to make a life-changing decision, it is because we don't know what is going to happen on the other side of our choice. But you know what? God does. He knows the end from the beginning. And if we have such an amazing asset in the process of making decisions, why not taking advantage, taking advantage of it? So as we make good choices and understand that God will give us wisdom to make good choices and understanding to make those choices, there are tests that will allow us to understand, to find out if the choice that I'm making is good or if the choice that I'm making is bad. Would you like to know them? Okay, two people, one. Okay. The first test for good choices is the test of the ideal. And the ideal depends on if the choice that I'm making is in agreement, in harmony with the Word of God. That's, if it is, it's an ideal choice. If it's not, well, well, it's not ideal. Good. Now, a lot of our choices, we make them in the way that we make them because we depend on popular knowledge. Now, the thing about popular understanding and popular knowledge is that popular knowledge is always changing. That's why it's popular. But see, the Word of God never changes. What God said 2,000 years ago is still good today. If God said that something was good 3,000 years ago, it's still good today. If God said that something was good 4,000 years ago, it's still good today. If God said that something was good 6,000 years ago, guess what? It's still good today. Because the difference between popular knowledge and the Word of God is that the Word of God never changes. So you can be assured that if your decision is in harmony with the Word of God, it's going to be good. See, for us to understand this matter, God gave us a set of laws. In fact, He set the universe. He set this planet from the beginning based on a set of laws. One of the groups of the set of laws that God gave us is the spiritual laws. And the spiritual laws were designed for us that as we make choices, we can strengthen our relationship with Him. The second set of laws that God gave us are social laws. 
And we can read it on the Bible. You can read it in, 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 uh, in Leviticus, at Deuteronomy, how we should treat the people around us. And, and those laws have not changed. And God gave us social laws so that we can understand how to relate to others in the way that God wants us to do it. God also gave us a set, another set of laws, and that is the health laws. And see, that, that set of laws has nothing to do with God or with others. It has to do with ourselves. That if I abide by those health laws that God has given me, it's for my own benefit. Basically, how much I love myself is how well I'm going to care about my health. That being said, God gave us another set of laws. And that is the physical laws. And that is how we relate with nature. Now, regardless of what set of laws that God has given us, we are facing, oftentimes we hear that if we don't follow God's laws, we are breaking the law. But in reality, that is not true. We don't break God's law. The law breaks us. Let me explain. Wayne, can you come up here? Wayne, are you familiar with the law of gravity? Yes. Okay, come right here. Just on the step. Don't worry about it. Trust me, I'm your pastor. Now, this is what we're going to do. The law of gravity says that when a body is no longer standing on solid ground, the weight of the body is going to be pulled by the weight of the planet. So the more you wait, the faster you fall. Now, see, I don't want to ask you how much you weight, but I think you can see that He's a little bit heavier than me. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, just a couple of pounds. But, but notice, if you turn around and I tell you, Wayne, fall back. I'm going to catch you. Do you trust me? <laughs> You're a smart guy. Now, no, no, notice what happens. Notice what happened. If I lay, let Wayne fall, even though I don't want him to fall and hurt himself, the law of gravity says that because of the weight of the earth and the weight of Wayne's body, there's going to be some bodily damage. That is the law of gravity. If you don't obey the law of gravity, you're not breaking the law of gravity. You're breaking yourself. Right? And that happens with the spiritual laws. That happens with the social laws. That happens with the health laws. And that happens with... Physical laws. We don't break the law. The law breaks us. But when we make decisions that are in harmony with the word of God, that means, Wayne, that you're safe. Right? Thanks, Wayne. So you see, the Bible tells us that God gave us his laws. Not for us to have a burden to carry but for things to go well for us so that we can be safe, so that we can be healthy, so that we can be happy, 
and productive. In Psalms 119, 105, you probably memorized this text before. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. So that means that in this world of darkness, when we have to make choices and we illuminate our path through the word of God, our choices are going to be bright. But if we don't use the word of God to make decisions, our decisions are going to be not so bright. So oftentimes we say, and I've heard people say, well, I need to understand something to accept it. Have you heard that before? Have you said that before? See, I believe of myself as someone who does not have a blind faith. I have to see things. I have to, to, to make sure that what I'm doing is, is right. And, and, and at first, I saw the Bible just like that. I needed to prove every single thing to see if what I was accepting, what I was learning was right. But then I came to a realization, and this is the truth, that I, as I am here today, and as old as I am, with all the education that I have and all the experience that I have, I will be never able to understand everything that God is said in His Word. Because God's wisdom is infinite. Do you agree with that? And I am not. God knows everything. And I don't. Now, if you still say, well, I'm not going to take what you're saying because I need to understand whatever I'm, I'm going to, to accept before I actually accept it. If you still believe like that, then that means that that principle needs to apply in all your areas of your life. If not, then you're not sincere. Now, do you understand how electricity works? You still go home and switch, flip the switch and lights come on. Do you understand how cellular communication works? You still have a cell phone, don't you? Do you understand how the internet works? But you still use it. And I could go on and on and on and on about things that we use, that we accept, and we practice without truly understanding how they operate. The same thing happens with the Word of God. Oftentimes we don't understand it, but if God said that something is good and something is bad, it's best for me if I follow His advice because it's going to be good for me. The second test of, of good choices versus bad choices is a test of integrity. And now this is getting a little personal. Because the test of integrity says, would I want everyone to know about this that I'm doing? And all of a sudden you guys got really, really quiet. Proverbs 10.9 says, people with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. Now, notice that the text does not say those who walk crooked might be found out. Notice that it doesn't say there's a high probability that they will be found out. It says they will. They will. So this answer to the question, who am I when no one's watching? Integrity in its basic form is you walk by what you talk. 
Because if you don't, and if you're making decisions that do not agree with what you believe, then your integrity is compromised. James 4, 17 says, remember, it is not to know what you ought to, uh, remember, sin uh, to, is to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So somebody with integrity is somebody who, when something needs to be done, that they know should be done, they get it done. So let me ask you a question. What do you do when you see injustice? What do you do when people are gossiping? You see, integrity, it's a very simple thing, but it's very difficult. But unfortunately, it is a sign of good decision-making. Because if your choices are based on what you believe, you're going to be okay. But when you compromise your beliefs, most likely that choice is going to be bad. The next test is a test of improvement. The test of improvement. Is this thing that I'm choosing, is this thing that I'm doing making me better? Will it make me better? Notice that this is not about, is it right or wrong? This is, is it making me better? You see? Because see, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says in verse 23, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. So this is not a choice between good and evil. See, because this is the truth. You don't wake up in the morning and say, do I read my Bible or do I become an international terrorist? See, you, you don't do that. You don't do that. Do I pray or do I become a drug addict? You don't do that. Those are extremes. So it is not about being good or bad. It's about being better. Now, you might say, well, whatever I'm doing, there's nothing wrong with it. And there's probably not anything wrong with it. But is it making you better? There's a lot of things that I do that are not bad. I watch TV. It's not bad but it's making me better. There's some stuff that I eat that is not bad, but it's making me better. So it's not about if it's wrong. It's about, it's making you better. And that's the question. The test of improvement. The next test about our choices, if they're good or bad, is the test of independence. Of independence. 
Because this answer to the question, could it become addicting to me? Could it become addicting to me? If this thing that I'm doing, even though it's not bad, would it make me addicted to it? You see, this isn't a thing about being a, a bad choice because it's good or bad. Is it, do I get a, addicted to it? You see, let me give you a couple of examples. You know that you could become addicted to exercise? Because all the endorphins that come in your brain and you feel good and you look in the mirror and things start showing in your arms or your abs. And you take more pictures in the mirror. Is that thing making you addicted to it? Exercise is not bad on itself, but are you getting addicted to it? This is not about being, if it's innocent or, or expensive or, or if it's uh, fun. It's about, are you getting addicted to it? See, Paul says it better. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything... Last part is very important. I must not become a slave to anything. Because every time that we develop an addiction, we have become slaves to that. The moment that there's something that you cannot say, I will not do it anymore, and you can't, you're already addicted. In, in fact, the same text on the Living Bible, it says in better, better words. Notice what it says. Uh, it's right there in your notes, I believe. I can do anything if I, uh, I want if Christ has not said no. But some of these things aren't good for me. Even if I am allowed to do them, I'll refuse to if I think they might get such a grip on me that I can't easily stop when I want to. Are there things in your life that you cannot say, I will not do it anymore, and you can't. Now, something happened with me with the invention of the DVR. Because now I don't have to watch the show when it comes on. I can record it. At one time, she's not here, so I'm going to say it. Uh, <laughs> Paola was learning how to use the, the DVR, and she erased my shows that I had like seven of them already saved. <laughs> I felt betrayed. I failed without value. But most of it, I was angry. Why did you erase my shows? I hadn't watched them. You see, the red dot says that they haven't been watched. Why did I make such a big deal about that? I was already getting so entangled with the lives of fictional people. Are you with me? Yeah. It wasn't a bad thing that I was doing, but slowly I was getting addicted. So by season 14, I said, no, I'm not going to watch this anymore. 
You see, those things, those things that have a grip on us that we cannot stop. See, like you're doing work or at church or whatever, and you cannot leave your phone there without it scrolling. That's an addiction. I hate to tell you this, but you are in the grip of social media. So it's not that it's bad, but it's not a good choice. And as long as it's not a good choice, you're not growing spiritually because you are being absorbed by that thing that has a hold on you. So how do you know something has the grip on you? How do you know? There's three things. What is the thing that you think about the most during the day? Okay, don't tell me. Don't say it. Don't look at the other seat next to you because you know what's the thing that he or she is thinking about the most. But what is the thing that you think about the most? All your thoughts, most of your thoughts, where do they go when you're sitting there without doing anything? Where does your head go? In fact, even when you're doing something, where does your head go? If most of your thoughts are going to wear something that even though it's not bad, it's not making you better, it might be an addiction. Second thing, how are you spending your time? What is the thing that you spend most of your time doing? Okay, you go to work, after work, after school. What is the thing that you spend most of your time doing? If you cannot let that go for a little bit, you know it's an addiction. And third, first is thoughts. Second is time. The third, treasure. Where is your money going most of the time? What does your credit card statement say that most of your money goes to? Because when you have an addiction, it is going to be on a credit card. See, when your thoughts, your time, and your money goes towards something in particular, if all those three things are pointing towards something, you know that you are addicted to that. And that, whatever it is, has a grip on you and you cannot let go of it. So you are not passing the test of independence. And your choices are wrong because you cannot let that go. The next test, now that you're all depressed and stuff, <laughs> is the test of influence. When my decisions are good or bad, has to pass, they have to pass the test of influence. Will it harm other people? Will it harm other people? Oftentimes we ignore, we choose to ignore how our choices affect other people. Oh, this will not harm anybody. This will not harm anybody. This is just me. But see, the reality is that God expects us. God expects us to think about others, 
when we make decisions. In fact, that is the way that God makes decisions, thinking of others. That is why he planned the redemption of this world, even before sin entered into it, because he was thinking of others. That is why he made the creation of this planet the way he made it, because he was thinking of us. And all the uniqueness of this planet point to something that when God decided, he was thinking about you. So as his children, what God expects from us is that we make decisions thinking about others and how our choices will affect them as we make them. In Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says, Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. And that's kind of like where we stop and we say, see, you are going to be responsible. But let's keep reading. Verse 13. So let's stop condemning each other. And that's called grace, by the way. Decide instead. This is grace put into practice. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. What is he saying? If you are truly a believer... You're not going to be judging people around. You're going to help them to come out of wherever they are. Are you with me? So what Paul is saying here is that his experience with God is not about judging people because he used to do that. He used to kill Christians. But when he found Jesus, when he found grace, his life became about telling people on how to get out of where they were to come into the face of Jesus like he did. You might say, whatever I'm doing, I'm not hurting anybody. You see, let me tell you a story. I was one time speaking in Arizona. I got there on a Friday morning, one of those crazy planes that go real quick from Burbank. And I got there to Phoenix. And before I checked into the hotel... I went to a store. Well, I'm in the store. Somebody taps me on the shoulder. I turn around. I've never seen this person before in my life. And the lady goes, excuse me. I say, yes, how can I help you? I'm thinking, I'm wearing a red shirt, khaki pants. Maybe she thinks I work in Target. Um, <laughs> And she goes, are you Pastor Pacchini? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good to meet you. You know, we're expecting you at church, and tonight is going to be awesome, and we've been watching some of your videos, and I'm like, oh. So if I was planning on doing something wicked in Phoenix because nobody knew me, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. There's always someone watching. You think that God, okay, God is watching. No, there's always someone else watching. If you're a parent, there's always someone watching. If you are an adult, there's always someone watching. If you are a human, there's always someone watching. Your decision will influence someone else. 
You see, so that day that you said, well, I'm kind of tired. We're going to make it only for the sermon. We're not going to Sabbath school. And the kids are like, okay. They're watching. So later, don't complain. Oh, my kids don't want to come to church. Because they've been watching you. Okay, I'm going to stop with that one right there. <laughs> Notice what, what Romans 15.1 says. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves, but we should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. Let me unpack this text for you. Paul is saying that there's two kinds of Christians. The weak and the strong. And I know some of you are going, oh, I'm one of the strong ones. <laughs> but in reality, those of you who think you're strong, you are the weak ones that Paul is talking about. Let me explain. When you think you're doing everything right and everybody else is wrong because they haven't reached your same level of spiritual maturity, you might as well carry a sign that says, I'm weak. Because I am close-minded and I don't understand that everybody's different. So what he's saying is that in reality, we should be considerate of others' spiritual walk. And if you already reach certain distance on the walk, instead of saying, hey, I'm on the podium, look at me. is to go down from the podium and walk to where the last one is and help them to get to where you are. That's what he's saying. Because that is the true Christian attitude. Other people, but we have to understand like, like this. Spiritual maturity is sacrificing your freedom so that others can have freedom. In other words, a spiritually mature individual limits his or her own freedom so that others can have freedom. A spiritually weak person just doesn't. Just that simple. And I have to tell you a story about that. I was at a church once. And this church, uh, we were talking about how to be more effective with the youth. And uh, as this happens in other churches, it doesn't happen here, but happens in other churches, the youth were leaving. And what happens was that they said, well, let's have a worship especially for the youth. But of course, uh, this church is, was a large church and very set in their ways. And they said, well, let's not do it at 11 o'clock. Let's do it at a different time. It could be even in English. The music could be different. It could be a complete different thing. We said, okay, that, that kind of works. They don't get up early anyway, so we can do it. And this is what surprised me. When that decision came from the board... The board decided that in the afternoon, this church was used to gather in the afternoon for a program in the afternoon, like a, the old AY. Um, they said, you know, the adults will go down to the fellowship hall. And we led the church with the sound system and the lights and the screens for the youth to have their worship. Honestly, whoever said it, I was like, is that you? 
I couldn't believe that that person gave that idea. I couldn't believe that that person who was known for being so strict and so by the, by the book was saying the adults will move downstairs and we leave the church, the building with all the facilities and the air conditioning for the youth. But at that moment, something dawned on me. That person, at that moment, became spiritually matured. That was willing to sacrifice their comfort to help those who were not there. Because, see, our choices influence those around us, especially, especially the next generation. The next test is a test of investment. The test of investment. Is this the best use of my life? Is this decision... Is this time, money, effort, ability, sweat that I'm invested, investing into this decision? Is it the best way that I can do it? Ephesians 5 says, so be careful how you live. So be careful how you live. And this word careful brings the tone of if you don't, you are in danger. Are you with me? So don't live like fools. Let me ask you, how many of you want to live like fools? Okay, now, maybe because you were not awake, you didn't raise your hand. But uh, don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Verse 16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. You think these days are evil? Okay, so it's speaking to us. Verse 17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. I don't know if you're looking at me like this because you didn't understand the text or because you have no idea what the Lord wants you to do. But either way, let me tell you something. The best use of your time when you do that, when you use your time for the best that you can, the first person that is benefited is you. And let me tell you why it's an investment. Because money comes and goes. My grandma used to say. Comes and goes. Energy. You get tired, the next day, drink some Gatorade, have good breakfast, you'll be good. But time. Time. It's something. It's an asset. That never comes back if you waste it. So what Paul is saying here is that time is a resource that just cannot be wasted. Especially if you have a relationship with God. Especially if you want to grow spiritually. Because in essence, in essence, our spiritual growth is demonstrated in how we use our time. First, to connect better with God. Second, to connect with others. See, in a week, in a regular seven-day week, not that this is regular weeks, but in any week, you know how many hours are there? 168. 
168 hours. And let me tell you, the most successful people and you get 168 hours a week. Eli Musk gets 168 hours a week. Bill Gates gets 168 hours a week. You get 168 hours a week. So what makes the difference? How time is invested. It's not even education. It's not even money because Steve Jobs and Bill Gates didn't finish college and they started in a garage. So they didn't have an education and they didn't have money. But they used their time to the best of their abilities. Success is a result of that time management. So in the test of investment are the decisions that you're making making you a better Manager or your time, is your time being invested in positive and productive things that will benefit other people? Or are you just scratching your belly and binging shows on Netflix with their $2.5 billion? We have to come to a decision in our lives. And perhaps this is the most important decision about spiritual growth. Am I investing my life in the essentials or am I investing my life in trivialities? Because if the things that I'm fighting about, if the things that I'm concerned about tomorrow will not matter, I'm wasting my life. I'm wasting my life. Because the things that really matter transcend time. So there's no doubt. There's no doubt that some of us, including myself, we are experienced in making bad choices. There's no doubt. In a, in a church this size, statistically, most of us made bad choices. And we're, we're not just guilty, but we're victims of, of our bad choices. The beautiful thing about this is that God knows that. God knows that. Some of those bad choices, they're not because we're sinful. They're not because we're evil people. They're not because we're bad people. It's just because we've been neglected. Or because we were ignorant. Some other bad choices, not only knowingly, have been affecting other people and ourselves. Some other bad choices we have intently made them. But whatever your bad choices have been, we have a God that is so loving and caring that wants to tell you that the most important for Him is you. And whatever your bad choices have been, today He's telling you, you can start over. You can start again. But now, you know what to do. Now you know what to do to make your life over again. And whatever you have left in your life, whatever long you're going to live, 
whatever talent you have, whatever relationships you enjoy, now you can do it even better because now you know what to do. But the first thing that you need to do is tell God, God, I blew it. I know I did. In fact, it's been my exercise. I can't do it by myself because I'm in the grip of this addiction. I'm in the grip of this set of bad choices. I'm guilty of this. I'm a bad choice maker by career. Or I'm a chain bad decision maker. I need your help. Because you know that on your own is very difficult. And if today, if today you want to make the best choice of your life, I want to pray for you. Because opening, opening our hearts to Jesus is the only way that we can start again. And His promises are new every day. And if today we get to breathe, and if you get, today you get to make a decision about something in your life, that decision has the power to get you closer to God or set you farther away. So make your next choice a good one. So make it an instrument of a str for, to strengthen your relationship with Jesus. And I want to pray for you today.